Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 18, Elgin Bokari Smith, Community Calling a Flashpoint for Representation, Act 2, recorded February 4th, 2019, in New York City. Screaming about irrevocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie But they don't apply to people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided All divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for old people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Bonney is a proud partner of Teaching Artists Guild. Teaching Artists Guild. You know, we just had Gene Johnstone, the executive director, on. Oh, yeah. That was a great episode. Thanks, Ben. You're welcome, Courtney. <laughs> uh, could you tell me a little bit more about Teaching Artists Guild? I can. Teaching Artists Guild is a national network of teaching artists and arts education leaders. They've been around since 2013, and Teaching Artists Guild, or TAG, has provided resources and communication about the growing field through their website, databases, and quarterly magazine. They also feature a pay rate calculator and have recently launched an interactive map of the field. Oh, and they also offer dental and vision discounts across the whole U.S. of A. That's amazing. You can visit them at teachingartistsguild.org to learn more about all this fabulous stuff. Tag, where the resources are abundant. Hey, ATA listeners. During the first full week in May, I attended the T- I attended <laughs> the TYA USA Festival and Conference. TYA is an acronym for Theater for Young Audiences, and TYA USA is a, a, a national network of exchange and dialogue for professional TYA theaters, artists, universities, and advocates, and they promote, promote artistic excellence in the field of theater for young audiences. Um, This festival has multiple keynote uh, speeches, conversations, breakout sessions, and a ton of shows for a wide range of um, kid, uh, all the way through adult, uh, and a wide range of topics and themes. There's also an awards ceremony. So it was my first time attending this conference, and I've always heard good things about it. And in upcoming episodes, I will have conversations with other attendees and some folks who programmed the event. So 
just to harp a little bit on my experience, um, I presented the New Victories Impact Research. Um, I focused on a specific um, element of that research, which was based on the immediate impact of the live theater going experience for kids uh, as part of a breakout session. And I was really pleased with myself as somebody who is mostly a programmer, but I really held my own. And I was sandwiched between (laughs) two other uh, researchers who um, presented their own work on similar topics. Um, I was also incredibly honored to have received an award for community impact that uh, was for the work I've done in the New Victory Spark program, which obviously I talk a lot about here. Um, So while these two events were quite momentous for me, and I was really pleased to be able to engage with colleagues that I don't normally get to in the TYA sector of my work, I think that what will stand out the most for me is the keynote conversations uh, that were focused specifically on anti-racism initiatives and the need for the TYA field to make headway in more intentional ways than they already have. The one that I would like to highlight in relation to this episode is the conversation between playwright Idris Goodwin, who has written many plays to critical acclaim and some controversy, and Jason Reynolds, who is a young adult novelist and whose books have been adapted into TYA plays. Throughout the festival and the conference, we saw three staged readings of three different adaptations of three different books that he had written. And all of the protagonists are young black teenagers and the conversation that particular conversation was popping um jason reynolds was dropping knowledge on the crowd with these like gems like quote poetry is the piano of literature and uh the best writing finds the balance between science and soul I mean, what? So Jason Reynolds, if you don't know, he wrote a book, a young adult, a YA book called Miles Morales, Spider-Man. And if you have been paying any attention to movies recently, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is based on these books. So while I was talking to Elgin in February, he mentions this and I have no real connection, but um, I had seen the movie and really enjoyed it. And I had no idea that I was going to have a chance to hear the original writer of the book um, speak. And man, that guy is cool. (laughs) So you haven't heard of Jason Reynolds or Idris Goodwin? Look them up. They are amazing. But it all takes me back to Elgin, who runs PocketCon, and he's working towards amplifying the stories of people of color through comics in order to help young people see themselves as heroes, as people who can know their rights, as people who can, who have voices and have choices. So I hope that you enjoy the second half of our conversation. Here is episode 18, act two, Elgin Bokari Smith, Community Calling, a flashpoint for representation. We had three amazing films, you know what I'm saying? Like to begin the year with Black Panther Mm. and to end the year with Miles Morales. Come on, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's pretty dope. That's that's pretty doggone cool. Yeah. Uh, and one of my favorite cartoons uh, returned as of today. Uh, it's called Young Justice. So I used to do a series oh, of yes. panels. Back? At top- See, I yes, know it. Young, I know it. Yes, Young Justice <laughs> is officially back. They, they got season three today. 
What what is oh oh is it it's the comic not the cartoon? No, it's the cartoon. Oh, the cartoon. Like the full on cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Yes, the full on cartoon is back. Um, and I used to do this panel uh, at C two E two Wizard World and all this other kind of stuff called from Black Panther to Aqualad mm-hmm. because. The new Aqualad character in Young Justice was so dynamic to me, mm-hmm. and it's just really great that like I'm watching the intro scene of season three for Young Justice, and then they they have Aqualad, they have Black Lightning, and who's a Green Lantern mm-hmm. and Static on the show within the first ten minutes. Wow. You, you know what I'm saying? I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. this is that's. Now that's progress. That's that's a little progress for me, you know. Yeah. So. No, it's exciting. I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited yeah, that I I'm know excited. like maybe a third of what you just talked about. Um, See, as somebody there who really doesn't think of themselves as a as a comic uh, comic person, but um, I I guess I know more than I think I do. I and I mean, even <laughs> even even Aquaman had Black Manta in it. That's you right. know, and I feel like even though it didn't have as much. He didn't have as much screen time as I probably would have liked. Well, I but think I feel like towards that, right? Because at the end of Justice League, he's there with Lex Luthor. So I think they're building exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's, I think they did a good job building up his lineage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like it. So it, which also goes along with the, the theme that um, you know you see in Young Justice and like why. Calder, sorry, I was about to get into the big. You can't, you can't get me started. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll well, talk all day. I'll, I'll talk all day. No, but it's 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 interesting for me uh, again as somebody who's like more in in theater, loves movies, doesn't like live so hard in this. I, I think it. What I'm, what I've been um, uh, investigating, I guess, is is my own re- relationship to representation um, as somebody who is a person of color, is a woman, um, I've also been looking for, you know, where is the representation of somebody like me um, um, and the young people that I work with um, in media and, you know, that there, there's um, some positivity, that there's also this um, understanding of, like, how you, how you deal with struggle um, mm-hmm. and how you sort of find the strength within yourself, but you also need to um, reach out and have resources. So that's a, that's something that I felt like was in the Spider-Verse uh, movie. Um, yes, yeah. Yeah, and, and that, you know, so I, I might be going off a slight tangent, but so so many of the young people that I tend to work with or have been engaged with is asking for help can feel like a handout as opposed to the way I personally have seen other um, cultures and, um, you know, people of different um, classes that they actually, they don't think about it like that. Like I, I am expected to reach out and use my guidance counselor, reach out and use this resource or reach out and that there's no shame in it. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I think that there's something, if, if there can be something that's more overt about um, talking about or seeing these movies and saying, like, you know, when was that moment where Miles, you know, really had to, like, reflect in and see how, how he could actually utilize his, his powers or that he couldn't do it alone? What does that mean? Or the relate or the father son relationship. You could even do a comparison. I'm going into education. Sorry, but but like you no, could do a no, comparison no, between T'Challa and his father, 
um, Killmonger and his father's relationship and Miles and right it's, it's the character right Miles mm-hmm. um, and his, yeah. his father who's a cop right and so there's this whole dynamic about like what do black fathers look like in the black community like there's this very mm-hmm. specific stereotype that is just not actually the full complexity of what our community is right that's portrayed yeah. in media and um, anyway so I just think that there's there's something interesting about how you know I learned that there's all this curriculum that was built up around Black Panther and that the more representation there is the more opportunities there could be to have conversations about what's happening which, what's happening in our lives what's happening in our communities and how we can um, you know push push through or make change or grow yeah and I think Especially, that's why those types of ideas, uh, and that's why we need more characters of color. That's why we need more writers mm-hmm. of color to do this type of work. You know what I mean? Uh, shout out to people like Eve Ewing, who was who are now who's now writing Ironheart, and Tallahassee mm-hmm. um, Coates, who was, who did a run with Black Panther and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it's like people like Dwayne McDuffie who's rest in peace now you know that's what he was trying to accomplish with Milestone Media and he's his run of writing was super influential when it comes to like the early days of um the DC animated universe so like the reason you start seeing more characters of color show up in these in those cartoons was because Dwayne McDuffie became a part of the helm of the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dwayne McDuffie is responsible for writing characters like Static, mm-hmm. for writing characters like Icon, um, Rocket, um, and also uh, what's my man's name? Uh, um, I think of it a little bit. You probably don't even know what I'm talking about anyway. <laughs> but like these these particular characters were all dealing with these types of issues. Or like, what is it? What does it mean to be? A, to be a person of color and also have uh, the superhero role. Like, one of my favorite character stories that I've I read growing up, uh, well, favorite character stories that I read, like, while I was in the process of creating PocketCon mm-hmm. was the story of Rocket, who was a um, the sidekick, sidekick to Icon. Icon's kind of like the, uh, like a, uh, if a black man was Superman, you know, type story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, doing similar to the same type of ideals, but, like, what would this if this brother you know what I mean mm. uh, so it's like Icon quick backstory about Icon he's a character who also was an alien he was exiled from his planet and he was a lawyer mm-hmm. while he was like uh, on this planet so when he uh, got exiled they sent him to uh, to Earth he landed during slavery time oh. and his molecular his molecular body mm-hmm. uh identified and molded himself into a child of whoever he saw first. The first person he saw was a slave black woman, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So from that time on, he was he was black. So he was a black dude mm-hmm. and lived as a black man. But he lived through, uh, he, he lived through slavery, lived through the Harlem Renaissance all the way up to the 90s. And every time he grew up, you know, people in his life had died off, but he would just reincarnate himself as his cousin or his son or his brother. You know what I'm saying? But he was still the same dude, but he got to keep all of his wealth, right? Yeah. So 
So it gets into that conversation about generational wealth and how that stuff really works. Like, what if you were able to actually keep all that wealth throughout time and your money kept continuing to be turned, transferred over? Mm-hmm. So then when it gets up to the 90s and we're having all these, like, gang and crack e- epidemic issues, mm-hmm. you know, and people from the hood is like, oh, man, you got powers, bro? Like, why aren't you coming to help the hood? And he's like... Man, I live through slavery. You know what I'm saying? Like, what, do you, what is this? Why? Y'all yeah, ain't got nothing to do with me. You know what I'm saying? But it wasn't until he realized and met this girl named Rocket, who was the girl that was trying to steal stuff from his house, mm-hmm. that he realized, you know what? I really should be trying to do something for my community. And she was like, yo, you can be an icon to these people. And that's how he became icon, the superhero. You know? Which is... You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it even goes into the thought process of what, even as rich black men, you are still considered black. And just because you got money and you made it through does not necessarily mean you just leave your people behind. Right. You know what I mean? There's a certain sense of responsibility, even if you've got, you can't, it's like that interview that Migos did like a couple of weeks ago, man. It's like, well, what do you think about what's going on with us black on black crime, blah, 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 or like these people getting killed by the police. And he was like, man, I'm rich, man. I'm making money. It's like, no, it don't work like that. Right. You're a symbol, no matter what. Yeah. So, and another interesting story that came from that series was Rocket, who then became his sidekick. She had to deal with, like, she got pregnant. <laughs> by by one of her ex-boyfriends who was also a criminal. Mm. You know what I mean? And then she had to figure out like what she was going like she had to go uh, figure out who would take up her mantle while she was going through pregnancy. Mm. So she had to get a friend to be her to be icon psychic for a while while she was going through pregnancy. It's all real life stuff. It's like how would you deal with that as a you know? Yeah. So it's it's interesting. Little little stuff like that. So <laughs> Yeah, I've just learned so much but, about comics. Yo, but that's but that's the kind of writing that you can get mm-hmm. when you have people at the helm that look like you and also right. are do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like don't have somebody else write my stories for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like that's why we we have events like Pocket Con where we celebrate the independent artists who's collectively trying to come up with stories that are not just Spider Man dealing with Aunt May and da 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 It's like, let's make it a little bit more interesting. You know what I mean? What would it be like if Spider-Man was black, a young man, and also, what would a black Latino Spider-Man go through? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, would, what would his uncle be like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. what type of family environment what if my, what if Spider-Man had to go through the lottery? Would he then be looked at as uh, an Uncle Tom to some of the kids because he made it out and they still there? How does he keep up his reputation? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like certain stories like that. I'm sorry. No, I love it. I love it. You're, yeah. I mean, I think what, what we've just done is like made a, <laughs> almost a commercial about, you know, how comics can actually help, help reflect what's actually happening in the world, but it's still in this sort of super, um, I don't know what the right word is, but like this sort of alternate space. Um, but it's still, if, if people are writing, uh, or creating worlds that reflect the world that we actually live in, that we have space to be able to examine it 
um, in this sort of dramatic space as opposed to only dealing with our own lives, but that there's a reflection Mm. on our own lives. I think that there's something about having that sort of distance to be able to still look back on what's going on in your own existence, in your own world. Um, And I, I personally have never really thought about comics as, uh, in that way so I actually appreciate this conversation a lot because it makes me uh-huh. think like oh you know maybe I should be thinking you know different not differently but finding you know expanding my views on on comics and um, and within the context of the work that I do and um, which is theater so interesting yeah there's some, yeah. some really great uh, authors that have used comics in the classroom mm-hmm. uh, to talk about some really serious issues, um, there's an ad- adaptation of uh, Octavia Butler's Kindred um, that was remade into a comic book mm. done by Dwayne, uh, by, by Damian Duffy and also uh, John Jennings. That's really amazing. Mm. Um, and talking about some really serious issues. They all, uh, John Jennings has also done a really great series um, called uh, Artists, uh, artists Against uh, Police Brutality and they had all these uh, comic book artists come together and do um, like one one or two pages dealing with how people react to police brutality and so really good teaching tools and, mm-hmm. and stuff too so that's yeah that's great um, Elgin <laughs> we're sort of coming to, to the end of our time um, this oh, I'm sorry. I talked about comic books too much. No, Jesus, man, is, getting was... through out here. No more comic book topics. Enough. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy that like, you. It's very clear your passion for this work, and I that I am very appreciative of you being able to share that really seamlessly with us, me. Um, so as we sort of wind down, I I, I was saying um, before we started recording that. Um, I, I was going to ask you this question, but actually, I think I'm going to ask you a different question now that I think about it. I was going to originally ask you about like how the arts were present in your life, but I feel like I have a sense of that. Um, <laughs> they're quite present. Um, and, and we've already started. Been, <laughs> we've already been started to go there, but something that I'm really interested in, um, you know, after after some time and thinking about it and realizing like when I first started this podcast, I wasn't really thinking in a, in a, uh, sort of activist sort of point of view, but it sort of mm-hmm. started to evolve towards that. And I'm curious about the intersection of art and politics, arts and social justice. And so much of what we just talked about is, is very, very linked to that. So I'm just curious in terms of your own um, art making and maybe even in the in the programmatic work that you do, where do you see the intersection of, of art, whether it's visual art or any, any type of art and um, uh, civic engagement? Yeah, well, I think uh, with me in particular, I think uh, one way I actually kind of got my start is I also, um, I was, when I first started teaching, I was teaching in two different places. One was at the Gary Coleman Youth Center, and the second place was at the, of the job that I still have to this day, which is at, uh, for Free Write Arts and Literacy, we, we teach in the Cook County Juvenile Detention Center. Mm. And um, for the past, now that I'm a, a program director of that specific space, 
um, within my first year, I, I learned the importance of uh, art being used as advocacy, um, art being used as uh, a sort of type of, I don't know if you want to say therapy, but like as a, as a coping mechanism of being creative and finding your bridge of creativity to help you get through your pain mm-hmm. um, or making sense of it. Uh, with Freewrite in particular, we make anthologies of like our young people's work to change the idea of what art making is or even to a young person. Like, what does it mean for a young person to not only make art that they may have not been comfortable making in the first place, but then that art does get made and then it gets taken out into the world and becomes something bigger. Like what happens when this doodle gets put in a book, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And then that young person is a published creator, Mm -hmm. a published artist at that point. What does that change in the perspective of a young person at that point? You know, um, same on the on the on the scale of like an exhibition. It's what we're talking about young people who are incarcerated who have who have done a plethora of different things, you know? Um and being put into a place that is can be pretty bleak sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. And to know that that work that you then created can be doing so much more. Um and also like when I first got started, uh my first big project was to do a Know Your Rights project. Uh, it was through the, it was through uh, Northwestern Law School. They wanted to make a book to teach young people their juvenile rights if they were ever stopped by a police officer, like how they should go about that process. Mm. And they said they used to do it in book form at first, but no one would really read it. You know, like they they weren't really about like looking at pamphlets or anything like that. But they said if they use art along with it and maybe made into a comic book then maybe kids would do it mm-hmm. and within like that first year of that book being created we had put it in the hands of over 1500 young people wow you know um and then we took that project even further through Matilda Dediose and also the Northwestern Law School where we would go around and do workshops in schools and then that's when the Know Your Rights Project came about and then we were actually doing trainings and then they made like a little animation video based off of my artwork uh, <laughs> to, to show as a small presentation to the young people in classes, you know? And uh, the, that's like one way of, and, and with advocacy of how things can change. Um, I like two years ago, uh, I was asked by the Colin Kaepernick's Know Your Rights Camp to create a Chicago guide uh, for res- for creative resources for young people, and they just wanted the artwork to be kind of included in that too, because then it, you know it makes it more appealing to young folks. So I, you need visual aid, you know, uh, and that's that's just one way, you know. Uh, but also just representation. I, I remember when creating that uh, the Know Your Rights book, and I made this. Uh, the first drawing I did for the cover was of like a, a Latino young man with like this crazy, like <laughs> this, this kid had a, a, a big fohawk or whatever, mm-hmm. and he was getting harassed, like he was getting arrested by the police, and the kid was just saying, uh, "I know my rights. I want my lawyer." Right. You know, like, I will not talk without a lawyer. Mm -hmm. 
and I was super and I was like I was so proud of that drawing I was like yeah 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 and I, I sent it to them and then the first thing they was like well can you make the kid black and I was like what you mean make the kid black you know what I'm saying you know what I mean like <laughs> I, I, I was offended I was like oh so you just want to make the black boy get arrested that's what it is and I was like uh, no actually we want to make sure that young people see themselves mm. saying those words yeah. and especially the demographic that gets targeted mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so if you wouldn't mind, can you change the character of a Latino boy to a black child, a black young man, saying those exact words? And after that, I kind of got it. Right. And that's what it is. It's about you need to, if you want change, you need to see somebody doing it. Right. You need to see somebody making those changes, and they need to look like you because that's how representation works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can... I can't honestly say it, but I can say probably about it's. I hate I hate to say it, but you know, like children of a lighter skin complexion don't have the same type of fears that kids of a darker complexion have, mm. right? Yeah, because or they don't make comic book characters or see themselves doing any other things because they don't see that. Mm-hmm. If you look at doctors, you look at lawyers, you can look at, you can turn on the TV and see a plethora of different white males doing everything. Right? Yeah. But even white, it, it's same with white women. You can see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. So there's never a shadow of a doubt about like what those young people can be. You know? Because they see it. Now, if you look on TV and all you see pimp thug, basketball players, rapper singers, and then you wonder why all our kids end up becoming rapper singers, basketball athletes, or something like that, mm-hmm. because they don't see as many. You know what I'm saying? Like you, or why the kid on the corner finds, looks up to the dude, you know, making that money, you know, on the street, yeah. whether it be a good way or a bad way, yeah. you know, then. They're, they're only following what they see. Mm-hmm. We can make excuses about that as much as we want, but if we want to see that true change, then we're going to have to continue to push the change that we want to actually see. Mm-hmm. We want our young people to see themselves knowing their rights. We want to see our young people uh, pursuing comic books as a profession. You know, um, but you gotta you got to be willing to make that first step yourself first and I can honestly tell you that the work that I do right now is nothing that I personally chose it was was the work that was chosen for me to do Um, so like I said when I got this award it was literally on a whim I I, I filled it out all the information and stuff literally like a day before it was due (laughs) so I mean you know, yeah. I guess maybe someone wanted me to have this. Mm. So, um, but I am honored to receive it. Super honored to receive it. And um, yeah, I just hope that I continue to, you know, uphold to the standards of what people who have either won this award in the past or it shows what can happen when you give an artist of color the opportunity to continue to do the work that, you know, they do. Well, I, I, um, I feel like, uh, you are, um, upholding and that you continue to do so. I'm sure you will. 
Um, this has truly been a delight. This is the first time you and I have ever spoken. <laughs> so I'm um, really thrilled that, that um, we had such a, uh, uh, an interesting conversation really made me think a lot. And um, I think I will continue to keep thinking based on this conversation. Um, so I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Um, and I really wish you a whole slew of luck. I hope that you get to do one of those residencies and really take full advantage and get to have opportunities for expanding um, your world around artistry and, and thinking about those um, those different uh, spaces where we can be pushing into and um, growing into and creating opportunities for young people to not only see themselves, but also have a voice. Thank you so much. And as well, I echo, I echo that same sentiment back to you as well. Thank you so much just for uh, allowing me to be on this show. And yeah, stay in touch. Yeah, <laughs> I hope you get called to Pocket Con in the, in, the, in the future. Oh, yeah, I'll definitely. Uh, I mean, like I said, I go to Chicago pretty frequently. So um, I, will, I will look it up and see what, if, if I can go. It would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite... A, and guess what? It doesn't cost anything, so it's free. You, you gotta it's get it. free. I like free. <laughs> I'm all for free. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> all right, well, have a lovely evening. Thank you again. Thank you so very much. Appreciate you, and uh, have a wonderful evening yourself. Okay, take care. Thank you for listening to Episode 18, Act 2 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Elgin Bokari-Smith, Community Calling, a Flashpoint for Representation. Join us next time for a conversation with Leda Lady Soul Garcia. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. Brandon Hutchinson is the media arts coordinator. And Jerry Johnson-Smalls is the communications intern. Jono Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry. And now on Instagram at Teaching Artistry with CJB. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud, subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Ooh.